We continue in our journey through the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter to spiritual exiles who were being persecuted. God's Word is always relevant to us, but given the events of these last two weeks, I think that it is particularly relevant this day. So I invite you to give word, give heed to the word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Evil. Our postmodern reality asserts that there is no such thing as evil, because there is no such thing as objective truth. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Who are you to say what is evil and what is good? Ask the postmodernists. Well, I wonder what these philosophers think of Vladimir Putin. On February 24th, Putin's forces invaded the state of Ukraine, and it is pure evil. What Putin is doing to those poor people. Eighty years ago, the world sat on its hands as another evil man began invading surrounding countries. And it remains to be seen whether we will turn a blind eye or if we will rise in response to this humanitarian outrage. Will we stand with the people of Ukraine as they defend their land? And with those courageous Russians who are as outraged as the rest of the world over what Putin has dragged them into. And what does the Bible have to say about how to respond to this barbaric aggression. How can Ukrainian Christians respond to this, according to Scripture? The answer might surprise you. Jesus never prohibited self-defense. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus told his disciples as they were preparing to go out into the world, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, Sell your cloak and buy one. Did you know Jesus said that? In one of the parables that he taught, Jesus spoke of the strong man who is fully armed, who guards his courtyard so that his property will be undisturbed. 
and of his courtyard, how much more those he loved who live within. And you will recall that Jesus violently cleared the temple courts, chasing men out with a whip that he had made from ropes. Yes, it is true Jesus had turned the other cheek. Yes, it is true that Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. But that is not all that Jesus said about self-defense. And we in the Reformed tradition are not pacifists because we are not willing to stand by and watch children be murdered, women be raped, men be tortured and killed for protecting their land. That is not the teaching of Jesus. And so we pray for Ukraine as they defend themselves against this brute. And we pray that our world will never forget the lesson of the last century, that appeasement never works with evil men. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, Peter reminds us. But beloved, here is the great conundrum of the gospel of Jesus. All of us at our core are evil. Our instinct is not to do good, but to serve our own interests, to worship ourselves rather than God, to grasp more and more for ourselves, whether it be more countries or more wealth or more power or more status or more credit. And when we watch a man like Putin or like Hitler, we can feel pretty confident if we assume that God grades on a curve because compared to these guys, we are pretty good. But God does not grade on a curve. All evil, both great and small, causes God to turn His face aside. So then, what is the solution? What is God's solution to evil? God's solution to evil was that He would take it upon Himself. When Jesus hung on the cross, the entire weight of an evil world was laid upon Him. He suffered and died to pay the price of evil so that evil men and women, evil great and small, could be forgiven so that we could once again look upon the face of a loving God who had forgiven us of our sin and redeemed us as His children, beloved and chosen. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of our gospel. And Peter's readers were being persecuted for their faith in that gospel. It seems that they were being insulted. They were being reviled and perhaps even harmed physically. And surely as Peter wrote these words to these persecuted exiles, the teachings of his master rang in his ears. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Our missionary Doug Burley tells me that part of Putin's contempt for Ukraine is the vitality and the independence of the Christian church there. He reviles Ukrainian Christians because they refuse to remain under his thumb. Now we, beloved, we are still blessed to live in a country that allows us to worship without fear of such revile. Never take that great blessing for granted. But there is no question that even our culture reviles and persecutes 
and utters false things against us because we believe in Jesus, because we hold to biblical standards that our culture finds abhorrent, standards about marriage and sexuality and when life begins and money and pride. If you post a rainbow sign in your yard, you will be applauded as enlightened. If you post a sign that says Jesus saves, you are likely to be shunned as bigoted and narrow-minded. If you are followers of Jesus Christ, and if you have the courage to make that known, sooner or later you will be the object of scorn and derision. Sooner or later you will suffer for that. So then, beloved, how do we respond to evil treatment as believers in Christ? Whether in Gig Harbor or in the Ukraine or in Russia, how do we do so in a way that honors Jesus and even draws our attackers to embrace the very faith that they initially attack? How do Christians reply to persecution? I think Peter in this passage offers us two don'ts and three do's, and I want to share those with you. First of all, Peter said the two don'ts, if you are persecuted, persecuted for the sake of Jesus, don't repay and don't revile. Do not repay evil for evil, Peter says. Again, we are not forbidden to defend ourselves, but the Bible always forbids us to retaliate. Peter, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote the same thing to the Romans in chapter 12 when he said, repay no one evil for evil, never avenge yourselves. And this is hard. When someone treats us horribly, what is our instinct? It is payback. We want to repay evil for evil. You hurt me, I will have my vengeance, I will hurt you back. That is our instinct. But it never works. If you hope that by nursing a grudge, by holding anger, by looking for the moment that you might retaliate, that then you will find peace, your hope will always be in vain. Nelson Mandela once said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. There are people listening to my voice today who have been grievously wronged by another maybe by a spouse or a parent or a business partner or a friend or a soldier. They've been betrayed, they've been violated, and the greatest temptation is to retaliate, evil for evil, payback. But we do not have permission from Jesus to do that. For one thing, vengeance belongs to the Lord, we are told repeatedly. It is not ours to take. God, the God of justice, will bring justice one day to all. And for another, it never produces the peace that we hope it will produce. Never. And so Peter says, do not repay evil for evil. Defend, but do not avenge. And Peter's second don't is similar. He says, don't revile. Don't repay reviling for reviling. This word means slander. It means insult. It is a spoken jibe. So not only can we not repay evil acts, we can't speak in evil ways about those who harm us. I find this word fascinating. Vile means wicked. So to revile is to be wicked, to be vile all over again. Because something evil, something vile has been said 
of us or done to us, we are tempted to revile, to vile right back. Even if we don't plan revenge, even if we don't plan to retaliate, we can at least delight in saying vile things about the vile person who has done vile things to us, right? And this is such an easy trap for me, I confess. I can think of two people in my life, people who do not like me, people who do not respect me, and that honestly, I do not like or respect people who have said awful things about me and about my Christian faith, and it is so easy for me to revile them, to turn their vile back upon them, or at least to revile about them to my wife. And Peter says, don't you do it. Hold your tongue. So those are Peter's two don'ts to those who are being persecuted. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not revile when you are reviled. But the thing is, Jesus never stops with don'ts. He always moves us to the do's. We are never just passive. We are always proactive if we're following the Spirit of Christ, which is counterculture and counterintuitive. So if we are not to revile... If we are not to repay, then how are we to treat our attackers? And you may not like this answer, but Peter offers three do's. He says, do be a blessing, do be good, and do be prepared. First of all, be a blessing. One of the most revolutionary things that Jesus ever said was this, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. There was plenty in the Old Testament that warned people not to retaliate. Proverbs 20 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will deliver you. That theme was repeated many times in the Old Testament, but Jesus cranks that up as He always did. It's not enough, He said, that we don't return tit for tat. Jesus says, I want you to bless those who curse you. What? Yes, bless those who curse you, when someone derides your Christian conviction, when someone says horrible, hurtful things to you, don't hold your tongue, but don't say what you're inclined to say. Instead, respond with blessing. If they speak derision, you speak kindness. If they speak criticism, you speak encouragement. If they speak death, you speak life. Pronounce God's favor upon your enemies. Pray God's favor upon them. And I confess to you, as I think about what this might mean for a Ukrainian refugee who's running for her life with her children in arm, it seems unimaginably hard. What does it mean for them to bless their persecutors? It's more than I think I could muster, but it is not more that the Holy Spirit can muster if we surrender our beloved hatred. But I'll warn you, if you bless your cursors, it might make them matter. After all, they are looking for a fight, and if they get blessed instead, it might make them even more furious. But it also might disarm them. It might cause them to pause. It might cause them to reconsider their meanness. It might cause them to reconsider your God. So be a blessing to your cursors. Peter says. Secondly, Peter says, be good. Be good. In the face of evil, 
be good. Respond to evil with good. Verse 13 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That word zealous in Greek is zelotai. It's the same as the nickname for Simon the Zealot, who was one of Jesus' disciples. The Zealots were a group of assassins. They would sneak into crowds with thin knives and stick them between the ribs of the Roman soldiers and then slip away. That's what that word meant, zealot. Peter says, I want you to be that much of a zealot, but for good. Be a zelotai for good. He urges them to have a good conscience. He urges them to exercise good behavior. In fact, the word good appears six times in this passage. And so one of the ways we disarm our critics is to live good lives before them, to steal from them the opportunities to point out all of our failings, all of our hypocrisies. And let me say as quickly as I can jump in here, we will certainly fail at this attempt. Because we cannot be good in our own strength. Even we who are saved cannot be good in our own strength. The uniqueness of Christianity is not that we are good enough to earn God's love, but that despite not being good enough, God loves us anyway and saves us anyway. That is grace. That is our province. Muslims believe that at the end of your life, if your good deeds are put on one side of a scale and your bad deeds on the other side of the scale, which way the scale tips will determine whether or not you go into paradise. Muslims believe that and most American Christians believe the same thing. But it is actually a horrific way to live. It is bondage because you never know whether or not the things you have done that are good are going to balance out those things that are bad. What uncertainty to live in. The grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that His goodness has been imputed to us. His goodness becomes our goodness. By His Spirit, we are changed every single day more and more and more and more and more into the image of God in Christ. In other words, we can never be good enough to earn our salvation. But once we have our salvation, He empowers us to be good and to be better every day. Just because it wasn't possible for us to obey all of God's law doesn't mean that they don't matter. They still matter. They are still the best way to live. And the more we live God's way, the better our lives will be and the harder it will be for our persecutors to criticize us as hypocrites. So be good, Christians. Live good lives. Have good consciences. Be good neighbors. Offer good examples. Raise good families. Be good employees. Be a zealot about being good. Not in your own strength. But in the power of Jesus Christ, the only good person who has ever lived. When we are good, we mute the voices of our critics. And Peter says, we lessen our persecution. Sometimes. Not always. Because having just said that, he goes on in verse 14 to admit this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' 
sake. So be good, he says, and if you are good, it will, it will cause your attackers to pull back. But he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. It is possible that even if we bless those who curse us, even if we live lives that are good, we will still be attacked and scorned for our faith. So what do we do then? And Peter's third response is be prepared. This is the Boy Scout verse of the Christian faith. Always be prepared. Verse 15, always be prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, if our desire is not just to defeat our critics, but to redeem them, to save them, to draw them to Christ, which ought to be our desire, then when the attacks come, when they say, why in the world do you believe these fairy tales about a man rising from the dead? You had better be prepared to give answer, to make a defense for why you believe that and why you have hope in that. And Peter points out it is all in presentation. Peter says that we are to share our testimony with gentleness and with respect. And I think this goes back to my previous sermon about being a jerk. Even if you can articulate the reason for being a Christian, if you do so like a jerk, like a bully, who is going to want to follow that Jesus? But the question I think he really poses here is, could you even get that far? I have met so many people who say, well, I don't like to talk about my Christian faith. I just try to live a good life. I try to give an example by my life. And honestly, I think it is often a dodge. Because either they are not sure what they believe, or they are too afraid to speak up. Being good is good. We've already heard that. But being good isn't enough, and it doesn't save anybody. Your good example doesn't save anybody. There comes a time when our actions need to be explained, when we need to give word to what we believe and why we have hope. And so... Peter asks us, could you? Always be prepared. Are you? If a critic were to say to you, tell me why you believe what you believe, could you respond gently and respectfully? Are you prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have in you? If in all honesty you would say, no, I am not, then you might need to bone up on your faith. You might need to read a book by Lee Strobel or John Stott or C.S. Lewis or attend the next Alpha, which can give you some gracious, thoughtful words to make a defense of the things you believe. But always be prepared. I want to circle back to where I started my message this morning. It is easy to talk about responding to our enemies with grace, returning blessing, for cursing, about living lives of example before our detractors when it is in the abstract. But for the people of Ukraine, for the church of Ukraine, for Russian dissidents, and there are thousands and thousands, I suspect millions of them, this isn't theoretical at all. Our life group grappled this week with how we should pray what we should do. We struggled with a sense of hopelessness about this atrocity and how, once again, history repeats itself. The wife of one of our life group members once worked in a Ukrainian orphanage. 
It was bombed last week, and all of those children are homeless, those who survived. So what shall we do? How can we encourage our brothers and sisters as they face persecution? Well, as Pastor Julie said, we can pray. We can pray for their deliverance. We can pray for their courage, for their witness. We can pray that evil will be thwarted. In a moment, we're going to close our service with the Lord's Prayer. There's a phrase in there that says, deliver us from evil. Remember that one? Do you know the actual translation is probably better, deliver us from the evil one? Deliver us from the evil one. Would you say that with me? Deliver us from the evil one. That is our prayer. In a moment, we're going to pray that prayer together. When we come to that phrase, I want us to say loud and clear, deliver us from the evil one. For our battle is not with flesh and blood. It is the principalities and powers. It is evil forces at work. It is the demonic efforts of our enemy who moves us right from one crisis, one pandemic, into potentially a world war. This is the work of, the, of Satan, the enemy, and we must be delivered from the evil one. So we're going to pray that together. The other thing that we could do is to give. As Pastor Julie mentioned, we rarely take special offerings here. You give generously and we make do with our budget. But this is one of those moments when I and your elders really feel it is time for us to step up. We are going to do all that we can to ensure that every single dollar will go without anything taken off the top right to the place that is intended. Cindy and I intend to give generously to this cause, and I want to invite every single person to dig deep. And I hope we send $100,000 to help. I hope we send more. And if you wish to join Cindy and me in that, you can go to our weekly guide. There's a QR code on the screen. And at the very top, there's a button that says, Give to Ukraine. And so I invite you to join us in that. All right, we're going to pray together. And I would invite you, if you're able, to kneel with me before the Lord. Lord God, we are heart sick by what we see going on around the world. We are broken hearted for the Ukrainian people who have lost loved ones, who have lost their home, who have lost their livelihood, who have lost their country and are fleeing for their life. Holy Spirit, would you be present with them? Holy Spirit, would you work through the believers in that land and the believers in the land around them to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring life where there is death, to bring joy where there is awful mourning. Lord, we pray for the enemies of the Ukrainian people. We pray for we pray for the Russian soldiers. For we know there are many who hate what they are doing, who feel compelled to do this. But we pray, God, that you would meet them in that pang of conscience and cause them to resist and to rise up in courage. And for those soldiers who do not feel guilt about this, we pray that you would sting their conscience and awaken them to the wrongness of what they are doing.
Lord, we pray for Vladimir Putin. We pray, pray that his hard heart would be softened, that his evil instincts would be turned. We pray that somehow, whatever truth of Christian faith is at the core of his life, that the, that the hope of it would spring forth in a way that brings regret and repentance. And Lord, if his heart will not be turned, we pray that you would thwart his intentions. Most of all, Lord, we pray that you would come against the work of the enemy in this, for we recognize his foul hand, his malevolent intent. God, we pray that the, the power of Jesus Christ would reign supreme over the foul intentions of our mortal enemy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hi there. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.